0: We, we come to this, uh, the, the, the end of this series this morning on the exiles. If you're visiting with us, um, we've been walking through the, the pages of First Peter for some time now and we've been looking at what it means to stand firm in your faith, um, especially in those moments where your faith gets tested. And this morning, we now come to the, the end of this letter, the last part, and Peter offers us uh, this, this caution as he now moves from sort of talking about the tangible things of our faith, the, the tangible things that we can see around us, to now the intangible things that maybe we haven't thought of in some time. And I've titled this morning's message, On Guard. So let's turn, if you would, First Peter 5, and we're going to read this, uh, 5b all the way through the end of this Letter. Let's, um, let's listen to God's word, will you? Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful, A faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever." So a few weeks ago, I got a phone call from the Carnival Cruise Line of America. The message couldn't have been more animated. This friendly woman came on the other end of the line and she told me I had been selected. In fact, get this, I wasn't just selected, she said it more like this. She said, congratulations Mr. Cook, you've been chosen. You believe that? Lucky man that I am. I've been chosen, she said, for an exclusive vacation package to anywhere Carnival operates in the whole world. And get this, all I had to do was call back and take a quick survey, and the prize was mine. You only wish you were so lucky. Shortly after that, I opened my Facebook account and up popped a friend request of a neighbor from years ago. And I was certain we were already Facebook friends, but I didn't really have time to check, so without thinking, I accepted the request. And sure enough, I have two of the same friend on my Facebook page. Turned out the new friend was no friend at all. Yesterday, I got a UPS text message, 2 a.m., said my shipment had been permanently delayed, but if I clicked on the suspicious link below, I could reschedule the package I never ordered. See, most of us would be embarrassed to admit it, but the reason they call it a phishing scam is that at some point, someone takes the bait. We should be sober-minded, watchful, See, here's why I bring that up, right? Peter just spent five chapters talking with this weary church, scattered, the dispersion. They've been standing firm as exiles in their faith, facing this mission field that has become hostile to the people of God. But now Peter gives them this final counsel. Look again. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You know, it's not just scammers, right? Peter says we have this unseen adversary who goes fishing day by day for our own demise. You ever been hiking a trail, sort of minding your own business and enjoying the day, and someone comes down the mountain, they quickly pass you, and you hear them yell back, oh, hey, be careful, there's a bear about two miles up the road. It changes your posture a bit, right? Your awareness goes up. Your vigilance is now sharp. You know, this is the first time in the entire book of 1 Peter where we see him sort of uh, go from the the tangibles, calling on this church to holiness, watching over their conduct, purifying their souls, abstaining from their flesh, and now he's come to the end and he sort of lifts the veil of the spiritual realm and he says, be watchful. There is an adversary on the prowl waiting for you. You know, that word watchful, it it means to be spiritually awake, to be alert, to be on guard. It sort of reminds me of that pivotal moment you might remember with Jesus and the disciple in Matthew's Gospels. In fact, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 26. We'll look starting at verse 36, 26, 36. And Christ has come to his final act. Death is around the corner. Jesus is vigilant and deliberate in prayer. But look what happens to those who follow him. Look at this. It says, Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the sons of Zebedee, James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. After going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass by me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And when he was finished, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, So you could not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray so that you might not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Be watchful. See, it would make sense, right, that Peter would be the one to tell this church to keep watch. Peter learned the lesson the hard way. You might remember, just after this, he let his pride get the best of him. Jesus told his disciples one would deny him, and Peter said, far be it from me, I would never forsake you. But as he slept, both physically and spiritually, he soon fell. You know, I find it telling, there's, a correlation time and time again in Scripture between suffering and temptation in God's Word. You ever notice that? It seems to me that it's in those times of hardship or uncertainty or heartache that God's people often become most susceptible to failure. Just take a minute with me and think about your own sin patterns. Think about your own habitual sin that you struggle with. When are you most likely to slip? Is it when life is easy and money's good and you have plenty of margin in your day and patience comes naturally, there's an absence of conflict? Is it when you kept steady in devotionals and connected in small group, united in community on Sunday mornings? It's possible. But I think most of the time when we succumb to sin, it's in those seasons of spiritual sloth when we allow the trials of this life to wear us down and instead of keeping on guard and coming to the Lord in prayer, and studying his word in humility, soon our pride gets the best of us, and we slip. You know, you think about a lion, right? That, I think that metaphor is worth evaluating. Peter says he's on the prow, seeking someone to devour. You know, I picture a, a roaring lion. I, I picture like an opportunist, right? A predator who's looking for like the slowest animal in the herd, the one not paying attention you know, that one that's separated from everyone else because he's too busy munching on his own branch. I love how someone much wiser than I once laid this out. He said, think about it like this. If Jesus' mission is to save saints, Satan's mission, I'm sorry, if Jesus' mission is to save sinners, Satan's mission is to devour saints. Let me say that again since so I messed it up. If Jesus' mission is to save sinners, Satan's mission is to is to devour saints. So there seems to be like this dichotomy that Peter lays out for the church. He says we will either walk with this spiritual slumber, pretending that we can hike on our own paths by our own strength and our own volition and our own pride, or with sober minds and humble hearts, we will instead put ourselves under the hand of Almighty God. And as we keep watch, we'll find his power made perfect in our weakness. One of my favorite movies was Lion King growing up, and um, I'm sure for the boys and girls in the room, you'll, you'll recognize this. You know, I never truly understood the battle of good and evil until I watched this with Taylor and Addie, my, my own children. In fact, I would say we're probably getting soft in our household because we did a, last, a lot of fast-forwarding the last time we watched it. Scar is terrifying. Is it just me? You'll remember the scene, right? Young Cub, Simba, can't wait to be king, and that's the theme song, right? In his innocence, he tells his Uncle Scar, my dad just showed me the whole kingdom. I'm gonna rule over all of it. The jealous Uncle Scar, the the epitome of evil, he says to Simba, the whole kingdom? He said, "Did, did he show you what's beyond the rise on the northern border? Simba said, no, I'm not allowed to go there. Scar said, yeah, I know, you're right. It's it's too dangerous. Only the brave lions can go there. And Simba's not gonna have his pride stepped on, right? He's the future king, so he walks right in the trap and he says to Scar, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. I'm brave, what's out there? And soon, by Simba's own pride, he walks right into the elephant graveyard. It's interesting to me how Disney will take the story from Genesis and put a few animals on it, tweak it a little bit, make it their own. Be sober-minded, Peter says, be watchful. You know, I think it's worth asking, where in your own life have you become complacent? Maybe a bit too proud, let your guard down. Just consider, like, what, where do you see temptation get the best of you? When maybe you didn't even have any plans to slip up, you just walked into it. And what was it about that moment in that fall that made you so vulnerable? Just process it. Where are you most susceptible to the attack of the enemy in your life? See, here's why I ask that, right? Whether it be your own temptation, your own sin, or this prowling of the enemy himself, or maybe a combo plate, for Peter, the solution is simple. Look at this in verse five. He says, the remedy... Is to clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. In other words, if wearing the garment of pride brings us danger, if, if your own ego makes you vulnerable, then wearing the garment of humility is your salvation. You think about it, this couldn't be any more countercultural to our day and our moment. Just think about that word pride. You know, pride is no longer seen as a vice in our world. Pride is a good thing. Pride is a a virtue. We celebrate pride. Here's what God's word says. Look at this in Isaiah 2. It says, The haughty looks of a man shall be brought low. The lofty pride of men shall be humbled, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it will be brought low. You know, in the context of our passage, When Peter talks about clothing yourself in humility, he means to tie it on. If you look at the Greek, it's almost a picture of like an apron that you would put over your clothes as protection. And you know, in our Bible study this week, somebody commented, it'd kind of be like wearing overalls or caddies, right? Uh, Caddy bibs. Like the, the clothes that you put on also symbolize your humility before someone. Look at this in verse six. Peter says, humble yourselves under the hand of Almighty God so that he might exalt you. See, if pride is trusting in me, then humility is trusting in him. If pride is my failure to see the susceptibility of my sin, humility is being keenly aware of my shadow self. If if pride is being anxious as I try to keep control over things in my life that I know I can't, humility is casting my anxieties on him because he cares for me. By definition, another scholar said it really well. He said, the church of Christ, therefore, is a gathering of the humble. Hear me, hear me on this. There's really no other way to follow Jesus. That's what Peter means when he says, be watchful, be sober-minded. We resist the enemy when in our humility we put ourselves under the hand of Almighty God. I think of King David who comes to the Lord with this contrite heart. He's the king of, of everyone in his kingdom. And yet he had the meekness to pray this prayer in Psalm 51. He said this, have mercy on me, God, according to your steadfast love. Wash me from my iniquity. Cleanse me in my sin. Or I think about the Apostle Paul who, after decades of ministry, had the audacity to tell people who were following him, I am chief among sinners. And let me be clear, we don't carry humility like to beat ourselves up. Humility is not shame or guilt, it's, and it's certainly not this false piety by which we humble brag. Humility is taking whatever trust you have in yourself and turning it instead towards the Lord who is trustworthy. Let's pause and review. This has been a lot. First, whether as a nation, as a church, or as individual, we should understand when you follow Jesus, there is an adversary on the prowl. And you might say, well, that sounds kind of alarmist and, and heavy. And Peter would say, yes, it is. He doesn't just want a taste of you. He wants to devour you. Second, the fastest way to succumb to the attack is our pride. You need to believe whether you are above it or immune from it. That's when your pride goes before the fall. And third, the protection then, Peter says, is to humble yourself under the Lord and let him exalt your life. So let's think some more about what that looks like. There's a story uh, from the Great Awakening of a particular evening as Jonathan Edwards was hosting a, a gathering of men, and hundreds were out in this field listening to Edwards preach the gospel, and Jonathan had received this note from a local woman earlier that day, and it was asking for his prayers for her husband. She had written this note at length about how difficult he had become, uh, how stubborn he was. She thought he was downright mean and even prideful, and she said, I worry for his soul. And after reading the letter in private, Edwards couldn't get this out of his mind. It had been ruminating, and so halfway through the sermon, he stopped, and he, he decided to read this note aloud to the crowd. And as only Jonathan Edwards could do, he then had the boldness to ask this gathering if perhaps the husband of that letter was present that night. He said, if so, would you be willing to raise your hand and change your life and give your ways to the Lord? As the legend goes, as Edwards looked out over this crowd, 300 men raised their hands in the air. What if that which is most personal is most universal? What if we stopped trying to cover our shame with with pride and instead we got real about this Savior whom we say we all worship? Could it be that you're not the only one who struggles with anxiety over your future? Or could it be that you're not the only one who wrestles with guilt from your past? Could it be that you're not the only parent who lost your patience with your children even this morning? Could it be that you're not the only one who struggles with too much to drink, too much to eat? That you're not the only one who clicked on the clickbait even though you knew the hook was dangling? Could it be that you're not the only one who feels alone in all that? Resist the enemy, Peter says. Clothe yourselves in humility toward one another, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brothers and sisters worldwide. What if you are not alone as you think you are? James 5.16 says this. Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You see the community in that? I once heard a story of a turtle who was tired of the northern winters, and every year he would watch the geese fly south, and he would get quite jealous because being a turtle, he knew there was no way he could crawl that far. So this turtle, he devised this brilliant plan to hitch a ride, and to do this, he convinced this flock of geese to tie this rope from one foot to the other as they were flying, and then right in the middle, he clamped his jaw and hung on for dear life. And at first everything was going to plan. The the crew was about halfway to Florida and all was well. But just about the time the turtle started feeling the success and the pride of his own endeavors, he heard someone below him yell to the sky, what a brilliant idea, who thought of that? And the turtle couldn't help himself. He opened his mouth and shouted, I did. Jokes don't get any better than that, folks. It's, It's as good as they get from here. What's the way to longevity and faith, right? How do we protect ourselves from the enemy, especially when we find ourselves in times of trial or hardship? Peter says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. Not just when you look in the mirror. Peter says, carry this humility toward one another. Lift each other up in the study of God's word. Be intentional in prayer for one another facing trials. Confess to one another. Hold each other accountable. And here's why. This is our promise. After you have suffered just a little while, Peter says, The God of all grace, who has called you eternal glory in Christ, will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Notice this. The way to overcome, the the way to resist temptation in your life, the, the way to stand firm in your faith, the way to protect yourself from the roaring lion, has nothing to do with you trying harder or doing better. It has everything to do with what God has promised to do for you when you put yourself under His Almighty hand. Notice this God is the actor here, right? He will restore you, He will confirm you, He will strengthen you, He will establish you. But if that's to happen, it it won't happen unless in humility we turn and seek Him. I, I love the irony that it was Peter who wrote this final word to the church. The same Peter who fell asleep. The same Peter who fell into temptation. The same Peter whose pride got the best of him. The one who fell far from grace. But you'll remember later, Jesus comes to him in the midst of a fishing trip. And in humility, Peter returns to the Lord and Jesus does exactly those things for that man. He restores him. He confirms him. He strengthens him. And he establishes his ministry again. You know, I think it's a noteworthy message for us on the 4th of July of all weekends as we look back to a nation whose history is soaked in humility and in the fear of the Lord. 2 Chronicles 7 says it like this. If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Let's make that our prayer today. Will you pray with me? God, would you spur us on towards the prize that is Christ Jesus? Lord, would you awaken us? God, we confess to you that, like Peter, we we can fall asleep right in the middle of our prayers, Lord. We can fall asleep before we even begin. So God, we confess to you our sloth. We, we pray, would you make us sober-minded? Would you keep us watchful? God, would you help us to put our focus so much on you that the, the enemy doesn't stand a chance? Lord, we pray, give us humble hearts. We confess to you the way that we've erred, and we, we ask, would you strengthen us? Would you confirm us, would you embolden us in the gospel of Jesus Christ today? Lord, clothe us with humility towards one another. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.